Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Sakari. Good morning. My name is Frank Sakari, and you're listening to Life Altering Events. Our sponsor today is the Tag Team, which is a partnership between the Abraham Group, headed by Jay Abraham, who's the most trusted and the most successful marketing mind in the world. Now, Jay has increased the bottom line of over 10,000 clients by more than $21 billion. And my company, Life Altering Event, and we're experts in business organizational development as well as financing and scaling of organizations. Now, the tag team members have all reached a point in our life where we want to see the next generation of businesses thrive. This is a very elite and exclusive program for entrepreneurs who are looking to make an impact on the world and get the best return possible for their business. If you think you can make a difference, go to my website, frankzakari.com, for the application details. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we all want to live an inspired life. But unfortunately, we all know that life's not fair. For some people, things just seem to fall into place. They win the DNA lottery. They're born into a good situation. They have loving, supportive parents. They have generations of their family's success. They have money. They live in the right neighborhood. They go to the right schools. They get accepted to an Ivy League or another elite university. There's a job waiting for them when they come out with a title or a partnership or a trust fund and a large inheritance. They live in a world few of us can imagine. This is nice if you can get it, but for the vast majority of us, life's a struggle, particularly if you came from a dysfunctional and or abusive environment. So what are you going to do about it? How are you going to break this cycle and live a productive, positive life? Live inspired. How are you going to do that? No matter what environment you came from, you don't have to let your environment define you. You have a choice. You can hope that things will get better, but let's face it, that's not going to happen. Or you can find the courage to pick up the pieces, deal with this grief, and start moving forward toward better times and better people. Remember this, it is never too late to have the life that you want and you deserve. Now, leading social scientists tell us that growing up, we are a product of our environment. Rage-filled words, mocking, and bullying causes great harm to children. We all know this. How we're treated and spoke to by parents, by siblings, by teachers, by classmates, formed our personality and are often our sense of self-value or in many cases, a lack of self-value. In many cases, these children who grew up in these environments repeat these dysfunctional patterns. Others often often become shrinking violets, and they live their life in fear and doubt. Now, that's not always the case. But when you're raised in an environment where the expectation is life isn't going to get any much better than this, it's extremely difficult to find the courage and the encouragement to break away. But there are those who are determined enough 
to try and are willing to do what it takes to make their future better. They're hoping for a better future. Hope, not a promise or a guarantee, just a hope of a better life. Well, my guest today is Dr. Laura Staley, and she has faced all these struggles for many years before discovering she could take control and live her life on her terms. Let me tell you something about Laura. She's a founder of Cherish Your World, which passionately helps people thrive by guiding them through holistic transformation of space, heart, mind, soul, and body. Now, Laura knows that there is a direct relationship between the conditions of a home or a workplace and the quality of our life. She has spent two decades working with a variety of clients. She uses her intuition, her experience, to empower her clients to produce remarkable results in their life. Sure trifecta is serving people, including speaking, writing, best-selling author, and compassionate listening. Now, Laura is the author of, of three books. One that I recently read is Living Awake, and if you haven't got that book, get it. Dr. Laura Staley, welcome to Life Altering Events. Thank you so much, Frank. It's an honor and a joy to be here. Laura, I, I read your book. We spoke about it, Living Awake, and you're very open about the verbal abuse you went through during your childhood. What impact did this have on your life growing up? Uh, wow. It, it had a huge impact because it was incredibly confusing. Um, there were adults in my life, um, both at school and in my home and uh, at church, who just <laughs> really were masters at shape-shifting. And I know we know the term gaslight. So mm-hmm. that ability to turn everything on the individual. I happen to be the target in my family or the person who we now know, I guess, the term scapegoat or um, split all bad because I had a brother and sister and my brother was um, split all good. And in many ways, my sister kind of just mimicked um, my mother's way of behaving which, you know, I have great compassion for. What else did she have? <laughs> you know, she was the oldest, and uh, she was just modeling herself right after my mother. So, my, so I saw that my mother could be kind to people, but she was incredibly cruel uh, towards me. And so I really, really was convinced that I was deeply flawed as a human being and really needed to earn my keep and become as good as I possibly could. And that somehow my goodness, my straight A's, my performance in sports and athletics, um, singing, being part of musicals, would somehow uh, have her see me for the person I really was. And it it just never quite happened. She just really, really struggled. It was like the boulder. Some people talk about the boulders that people have um, or the, you know, the lens through which they see another human being. And I just could never quite get inside her soul 
to alter the way she saw or experienced me. So it was incredibly painful uh, for a lot of my life. Deep into my adulthood, I didn't feel safe in my own skin um, or out in the world in many ways. I had a certain level of hypervigilance because of all the different things that happened both inside and outside of my family home. And I also struggled with the sense of value, as you were speaking earlier. Uh, and, and though on the outside I had these achievements, including at 10 years old being voted the most valuable swimmer by, my, by the coaches on the swim team and by my fellow swimmers, I couldn't, I couldn't let it in, um, and I knew the cruel words that would be spoken to me in, in my parents' home. So I, I stood there trembling, almost in tears, um, with fear as the whole room erupted and stood up and, and cheered for me. It, it was a very excruciating moment for me as a child um, to receive that that kindness and um, that praise because I didn't feel it on the inside. I, I, I just figured I really was that person. All those words that my mother had, had used to describe me, I just kind of swallowed it inside and, and believed it for way too long. Um, so that was, I think that was part of the struggle. I was, I was blessed in that my father and his mother um, to the extent that they could, did see see me and appreciate me. Although there was a lot of disappointment there, there were still uh, fierce expectations of who I would become. I think his dream for my life was to be a public servant or to work at a homeless shelter or, uh, you know, <laughs> and and presumably those were things that he felt that he was supposed to do, and yet he lived quite an exceptional life on his own on his own terms in many ways. So uh, I was grateful for my dad's example, uh, for the love of my grandma Hope, because those uh, those moments were lifelines in a very very difficult chaotic. Uh, childhood where somebody looking from the outside would say, wow, you know, this is an upstanding family, you know, a teacher, a college professor. My dad was a college professor. And from the outside, everything looked so pristine and perfect. And yet on the inside of my parents' home, awful, awful, horrible things happened um, and were spoken. And, uh, now, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, what Laura just said, she wins this, this great honor. Now, think about this yourself. In your life or in your children's life, you have this honor. You are presented with the top swimmer, the best swimmer, and you're terrified, terrified to be receiving this because you know it's going to trigger something at home. Now, that's a terrible burden to put on a child, and no child should ever have to experience that. And we're very sorry you had that uh, occur in your life, Laura. Now, we know that, and, and in your book, you're very good about it, that children who are exposed to these conditions often develop what a number of military people have, which is PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And there are triggers 
that can occur and if they're left untreated can have a very negative impact on your life. So what were some of the triggers that you found as you were going through this, particularly as you left home? Yeah, as I as I left home and I and I grew and got older and started having a, you know, a sense of myself because of course the abuse from my mo- mother persisted deep into my adulthood. Um her words and letters and angry um, judgments and criticisms of my choices uh, persisted. Some of the triggers for me, um, when I had children, that was the toughest time when my kids were really little because I noticed that I would get overly stimulated in a heartbeat and I was, I was often terrified that I would run into my mother because she she lived just 30 minutes away and and often she and my dad would just show up on my doorstep even though I would ask for them to you know let me know and and I had the right to say gosh this isn't a good time you know my kids are melting down and I need to tend to my children um and I I started being very eruptive and extremely reactive so after a full day of two small children who, of course, are struggling with their own emotional regulation, right? Mm-hmm. Little children, they cry easily. They get frustrated. If they don't have words yet. They can't speak what their needs are. And I, would, I was working dil- diligently, and I knew I had a huge commitment to be a loving and healthy mom. And yet I found myself having uh, what I've, I would describe as just these episodes where I, w- I would turn into almost like a cartoon character because I would be triggered by um, the, the, you know, the shopping mall or even the grocery store, all the lights and the stimulation and my kids maybe being cranky and needing a nap. <laughs> maybe I needed a nap, you know. <laughs> and, um, and so by the time I get home, I, I just, you know, like that one more thing, right, would happen either um, my child, and they were just being kids. Right. They, they, they didn't, they hadn't done anything wrong. And I would just erupt into um, a, a, a rage episode. Now, I never physically harmed. There was one time I, I struck my daughter and it terrified me so much that I knew never to do that again. But I would just kind of like, I would describe it as just a utter meltdown, like a, a grown up. A temper tantrum where I'm spewing awful words and, you know, seemingly to the air. Um, I mean, I think I knew enough not to direct cruel words at them, and yet here I was spouting off. In fact, we we laughed. We would always know that I had that mom had had a rough day because my son the next day would be playing with his matchbox cars or some toys on the floor and he'd be going F, F, F. And I'd be like, Oh my, you know, and it was kind of like, wow, if I don't want my kids to be saying these horrible words, I need to stop them. And plus their dad at the time, you know, came to me and he literally said, you're you're terrifying our kids. You're kind of scaring me too, but you're really terrifying our our kids. And and at first I was very defensive and was like, well, they need to see what anger looks like. But then I really reflected on it and I realized, oh my God, only cowards 
are cruel and or or just explosive and in, in front of little kids. And um, but and so that that interaction kind of planted a seed, and I felt deep shame because I think that's at the core of this. You know, I I carried around the shame of uh, perpetrators as well as you know the cruel words that my, my mother spoke. And it wasn't my shame. It was like the shame that got dumped on me as a child. But when you're a child, you can't filter out what Correct. somebody else's junk is and what's your own. Um, and so at any rate, I watched myself. It was like I had enough awareness to literally watch myself and feel the experience deep in my body. And it was in that, inside that experience. And then literally like opening my eyes and the veil lifting and seeing my two children sitting on the floor, just the saucer eyes, you know, and I saw their terrified faces and was awash with deep shame and ran into the bedroom and, uh, you know, burst into tears uh, and and knew that I needed help for what, uh, what 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 I would describe actually as persistent traumatic stress because I still wasn't in the post of it meaning I still had contact at that time uh, with my mother now later on I finally uh, broke free and knew that I could not it was an impossible situation that I could not alter no matter how how much healthier I got, that wasn't going to have her shift from her insides and she wasn't ever going to take responsibility or seek help outside of, um, you know, seek out a therapist or anything like that. But I did um, because I knew my the, the lives of my children were worth it and I needed to resolve my my body trauma and the ways that I interacted with my own children. Um, so, you know, kind of much like my mom, I wasn't doing this out in public, you know, my friends, I think they were like shocked that I ever said the F word, (laughs) you know, and, um, and so to learn that about me and again, the shame, right. Because it was happening in the privacy of my home. And yet I, I knew I had to, I had to get help. And at that juncture, you know, I had done uh, quite a bit of talk therapy, but I had not done the body work to really um, unravel the the trauma that resided in my nervous system, in my brain, in my body. Mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't affirm my way out of that one. I Laura, hold that thought had, right there. Yeah, Hold that thought. Absolutely. We're going to take a little break here, let you take your break, get your breath, <laughs> and uh, we'll be <laughs> yeah. back uh, shortly. Don't go away, ladies and gentlemen. This story gets better and better. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-7111. 
888-255-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life-Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Sakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We just had one of the most intense segments in our 55 episodes with uh, Dr. Laura Staley. We went through some of the trauma that she went uh, as a child and the abuse and the verbal abuse and then growing up and winning an award, but being terrified, absolutely terrified to accept this award because she knew that there would be more abusive behavior upon going home and how she tried to move away from this as she, as she was growing up and had her own children. But like with PTSD, there are triggers and things come back to you. I want to make a correction here. The name of her book is Live, Live Inspired. Okay, not, not what I said in the beginning. Live Inspired, go get the book. Now, Laura, very early in the book, you mentioned something called listening deeply. Okay, please elaborate on that. Well, over... over um my years of healing and transforming, I've discovered that there is this profound presence that one can hold in their whole self. I would describe it as rapt attention. And it's like you're listening with every cell of your body waiting for the next word uh, and and listening beyond the words and I know one of the gifts of of um, of my childhood 
that I began to develop then is because when you're tracking another human being, which I absolutely was doing every single day of my life, as soon as I walked into the door of my parents' home, um, you're paying such close attention outside yourself to this other human being because she she was not uh, alcoholic, so I could not be cued by empty bottles. Um, so that deep awareness, and I know it, it no longer feels terrifying. It just feels like calm and peace and quiet in the mind and through meditation and mindfulness and all the work that I continue to do and have done in the past. It it has um, allowed this place of deep listening, like the pin drop kind of listening. Mm-hmm. And I find it incredibly powerful when I'm working with a client. Uh, I've got my son on the phone uh, in conversation with me that to really listen to another human being beyond the words that they say, to the emotion, the intention, the passion, the hurt that they might not even be able to put voice to, and to really hold that space is just an exquisite gift. And to all the people over my lifetime who I get... I get moved by this. Who listened to me that way? They gave me and modeled for me an exquisite and rare gift of not being interrupted, of just of not telling me what to do, but giving me a chance to uh, hear myself in my own voice speak my truth and maybe even speak my deepest aspiration and desire as well as my own solution. And if there were were a gift that I could, you know, (laughs) take my magic wand and give to every human being on the planet right now, it would be the gift of deep, soulful, rapt attention, listening, to first of all yourself <laughs> and your own heart and soul, but that to have that with another human being so that you're not coming to another human being with an agenda, uh, expectations, uh, fierce criticism, but just this profound presence, almost like you would have when you're watching a sunset. That is so exquisitely beautiful. It just takes your breath away and all your thoughts just drop out of your head, (laughs) you know, right into the sand if you're, you know, standing on a beach or in front of a beautiful painting or something that I think all of us have hopefully had the experience of having kind of that moment of just rapture and awe. What if we brought that to the human beings in our life? We'd live in a new world, Frank. Absolutely. One thing you had in your book about 
listening deeply that really struck me is when you when you listen intently and deeply with that rapture you you mentioned it's it's you're telling the other individual there's an unconditional love here i'm not judging you you matter i see you i hear you and you're safe is that what you found absolutely yeah it's the, it's like the five core of emotional needs or maybe not the one of being seen as capable but uh, you know those core needs that every single human being has of being seen heard valued loved safe you know just deeply honored and appreciated and celebrated even yeah that was that was intense, ladies and gentlemen. When you get this book, it comes up quick. It's like on page six. Listen for it. Look for it. Another term that you used, Laura, was internal bully. I think you called it the fly on the wall. What's that mean? Well, actually, they're they're separate. I I had so I had what I called an internal bully, and some people refer to this as an inner critic. So it's that voice inside of you that's berating you or saying, well, you just said something stupid and why did you do that? And, you know, that's questioning you, that's doubting you, or that's, you know, fussing in some form or fashion. For me, it was, uh, I called it an inner bully because that voice inside of me was cruel and ruthless. Um, now, the inner fly on the wall, that's distinct in that the fly on the wall was the witness. It was the quiet, rapt attention, peaceful witness of the inner bully. It was that part of me that noticed that I had an inner bully inside of myself who I just really didn't want to listen to anymore because she was me. <laughs> and no and no surprise, right? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. that got installed during the training. <laughs> That's kind of how I refer to my childhood. <laughs> the, right. the training right. and, and then the relearning that I had to go through. So yeah. Well, so d- two two different concepts. Um mm-hmm. yeah. one is internal and then one is realizing. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. The fly in the wall is kind of like the peaceful witness. Some people say the wit- the witness consciousness. That's actually the part of myself that has grown and expanded and is really delicious and just scrumptious inside of me. That's the part of me that when you're speaking or I'm in conversation with another person can just be really, really quiet and... um and watch and pay attention and be utterly respectful of of your of your truths of your dignity of of your right to uh, say whatever you need to say. Mm-hmm. Now, Laura, I work with uh, a number of war veterans, and one thing that they tell me, and I hear this often from these individuals, men and women, is that they have a Jekyll and Hyde like experience. Now, in your book, you wrote about a personality, and I think you call it Lois. And you had a number of battles internally with this Lois. Tell us about this. 
Oh, yeah. Lois was my rage. Lois was absolutely that part of me that blew up and started using the F word in front of my own kids, you know, and would just melt, melt, melt down. And, uh, yeah, it, well, I, I actually call well, so I named her Lois, um, the psycho bitch from hell, excuse the, <laughs> but that's, that's what I called her because <laughs> that's what it felt like. Um, and I, I apologize for, um, Don't worry about you know, it. using a, okay, <laughs> using a, a, a not polite word. Um, but yeah, and, and it was, I mean, she literally felt like a character, inside of me that wasn't my essential self that had nothing to do with the very core, um, you know, maybe sweet, sometimes sassy, you know, but sassy is one thing, but she, she was mean and cruel. And, uh, I guess another way to, to describe her is at the, the inner bully. I mean, very much the inner bully, but that, but Lois would actually explode outside of me, um, you know, in those meltdown, pressing storms that I would have in front of my kids and still, until I stopped and began to interrupt that. Yeah. So yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, in fact, <laughs> in fact, I've got names for all my different, uh, characters. They're, they're like different versions of myself, you know, like there's pity, patty party and there's Pat, <laughs> pity party, patty and unworthy Ursula and terrified Tammy, and you know, and uh, and I I know that these are all different um, parts of myself that um, younger versions of myself often attach to a pretty strong emotions, right? That um, didn't didn't get their didn't get their needs met in some form or fashion, but now as an adult, I get to integrate them. And if I notice that one has come up and is, <laughs> uh, I just don't let her drive my car that day. But I, but I sit and listen. You know, it's kind of like holding again, using that inner fly on the wall, that part of me that can just hold space um, for these other characters, if you will, inside of me. So I understand what you're talking about in terms of that PTSD. Absolutely, it is. It's like there are these different characters. Uh, inside of me and depending on the context of my life and who I'm interacting with or what's happening, one of them may pop right in, um, you know, grieving Greta, <laughs> you know, and here all of a sudden I'm at a business networking coffee and, and I'm bursting into tears, you know, and it, and it's not that I, I, um, hmm. you know, there's a place for, there's a time and place for grief, uh, obviously, but grief mm-hmm. is a weird one in that it just kind of, it often just does just kind of come upon us. We smell uh, sort of in a, in a different kind of way, like PTSD. It's sort of like it just flows over us. Um, the loss, the, the grieving, the lost childhood, which mm-hmm. I think is a big part of if anybody's lived through a traumatic childhood, I think being able to grieve the fact that it wasn't that, 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 that description that you uh, shared at the beginning of the show, um, I think so many of us just didn't have that. And for those who do, I, I celebrate it. I used to be so envious of it, but now I just celebrate those who are deeply loved by their parents and by their family and, 
you know, seemingly had, um, you know, less bumpy childhoods than, uh, than I did and others. One of the things that I found pretty intriguing in working with these veterans and then uh, reading your book is there's this, this tendency that there's, there's this anger, and they say this uh, anger is a feeling, and you, and you said that anger is a symptom. Explain that. Oh, absolutely. A- anger is a symptom. It's a secondary emotion that covers up hurt. And then the hurt covers up deep, deep love. Because at the end of the day, I know I came here to love and be loved. And I am love. You know, like as an essence, like a part of the, my essential self is compassion and love. And so if you can, if you, once I recognized and was able to um, resolve a lot of the, the anger and begin to clip the wire to the bomb inside of me, if you will, which was my uh, work to do, put myself in timeout as soon as I noticed the sensations in my body before I blew up, um, I would clip that wire um, and go back and back and back and back before the, you know, to the spark. And once I did that, then I realized, wow, underneath the anger is so much hurt and grief. And if you can get there, wow, you're almost home. Because then I even call it grief love. Because when we're grieving, it's a sign of how deeply we've loved and what we've lost or what we thought we lost. And, and to go there, you're, you're just that much closer to the deep love that, that you are. Yeah. That's outstanding. That was an excellent point that you made in the book, and you just made it better right there. Ladies and gentlemen, we're coming up on another break. I'm going to take a break here before we get into the next section with uh, Dr. Laura Staley. This has been the single most intense interview we have had this year. Ladies and gentlemen, do not go away. This is going to get better yet. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. 
A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Frank Sakari. You're listening to Life Altering Events. Our sponsor today is the Tag Team, which is a partnership between the Abraham Group, headed by Jay Abraham, the most trusted and successful marketing mind in the world, and my company, Life Altering Events. And our goal here is to help the next generation of business leaders thrive. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we've had two incredible segments with Dr. Laura Staley, and if uh, you missed it, make sure you hear it on demand later today, and I will post that when that comes up. Laura, you had mentioned in your books a a term that I never heard before about death of pretending. Elaborate on that for us. (laughs) So... uh... (laughs) We had a we discovered that this awful stench in our house and uh, realized it was a decomposing possum, and I I just have a um, fascination with the spirit messages of animals. In fact, one of the one of my saving lifelines in childhood and even to this day is nature, being connected with nature. So I ran and got my uh, Power Animal book. This is back when the the kids were young and, um, you know, their dad was was in our lives. And uh, so he was out there (laughs) taking care of this. And I I opened because I was just so intrigued to know, you know, what's the message of the possum? Well, possum pretend to be dead as their coping strategy, right, as their way to keep predators from uh, attacking them. But this possum had actually died. And all of a sudden, I realized it was such a profound metaphor because I I just like look for metaphors and signs everywhere um, that, you know, lead me to the next right love inspired action. And I realized, oh, my gosh, the dead possum just gave me permission to bring an end to pretending you know, pretending that everything's fine when I'm a hot mess inside, you know, pretending that I'm happy when I'm grieving, Uh, uh, you know, all the ways that we we can pretend to fit in because we want people to like us. We want people to love us. And yet, 
how important it is to just be generally yourself and to realize that most human beings have lived through something really hard. Um, and it could be as simple as a, a, a death of somebody that they really, really love. And it could be something just even more horrific, but at the, uh, at the, not at the very least, because that can be really traumatic is to lose somebody that you really, really love. And so, you know, to live a human life is hard and, um, and to not pretend about it, to not put a pretty face and a, a you know, a yellow sticky <laughs> smiley face over everything is such a liberation. It's an incredible liberation to just generally be yourself and belong to yourself and to flow through those different, um, uh, um, emotional states, but when somebody asks you, how are you, that you're actually able to say, you know, wow, you know, it's kind of been a little intense, or yeah, I'm pretty blissed out today, or or I'm generally excited and looking forward to this conversation that I'm going to that I'm gonna have with a, another person, so that you can speak your truth and have the people in your life that where, you know, like it's safe. Again, we're back to the safety, right? That is just safe for you to be you and to express yourself exactly where you are in that moment on that day and know that it isn't going to stay. It isn't going to stay that way because nothing is, nothing is, per, nothing is permanent in this life. So, yeah, so the death of pretending is about putting an end to imposter syndrome. And, and it's amazing because it's a, a topic that's discussed all, all in all kinds of circles, you know, people doing a dog and pony dance, and it's just exhausting. Exactly. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, pretending is just exhausting. And if you can drop into your essential self, and yes, you know, um, work through the traumas, work through, you know, because if you, if you are chronically angry, that, that is really uncomfortable for people to be around and you probably won't be heard. Um, uh, and so you really, you really do want to be heard by people. So maybe work through some of that with trusted individuals who can hear you and then drop into that essential self and voice that's true for for you and live from there, kind of live from that inner fly on the wall um, and, and then allow your personality to just, you know, sparkle through, through that deeper soul, uh, soulful place. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, Laura, liberating, and I want to go there. You had a very liberating story that occurred on a New Year's Day or New Year's Eve with your parents. Explain that, what that was, and how that liberated you. Oh, happy to. Well, uh, the day before on New Year's Eve, I was reading um, Conversations with God by Donald Walsh, and he was discussing the difference between conditional and unconditional love, and I had this huge epiphany that I had a bunch of belongings in, in my physical space, in our home at the time, that were gifts from my parents. And one of the awful things that my mother used to do is she'd come to my house and just rage at me about the objects that I wasn't using and the way she or had them on the proper shelf or, or whatever. It's like I didn't have the use and care guide, the, <laughs> the one that was in her head. 
right? And, and all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, these gifts, these belongings were never given unconditionally for the joy and use and, you know, support of me and my, my family and my children and, and my husband at the time. And so from this epiphany, I gathered up every single gift um, physical belonging that my parents had given us as a family, not, not things that they had given directly to my children, but to me, you know, kitchen items, artwork, things like that. And I loaded up my um, minivan at the time on New Year's Day and, and wrote this thank you letter, um, you know, thank you so much for all these things that, that you gifted me. I no longer need any of them because I realized they were not unconditionally given to me. And so here they all are back in your possession. And just thank you so much for, for, uh, gifting them to me. But I am, I am complete with this experience. And, you know, I love you you know, Laura, and I, I drove up in the driveway and I started unloading every single one of these items. Uh, and, and my, my parents just kind of like, didn't quite know what was going on. I think my mom thought I, I had gotten divorced and was finally coming to live with her because, you know, part of her thing was, you know, I hate you, but don't leave me. Um, so, uh, she thought I was coming back to live with them, which was the furthest thing from the, the reality. And then my dad just kind of realized, wow, she's just unloading and, and maybe I can help her. So he started helping me, you know, take the things out of, out of the van and, and into their, into their house. And then I handed them the letter. I hugged them both and I drove away and Oh, wow. It was one of many, many steps towards my ultimate liberation uh, from those dynamics because I thought, gosh, she can never walk into my home and scream at me and rage at me about a physical object that I wasn't interacting with in the way that she thought I should. Um, yeah, so it, it was a, it was an incredible freedom and I, I just, it was like I could breathe and, and honestly, Frank, many of those things I didn't even replace, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just, it was like, wow, they're gone <laughs> See and ya. I'm free and, I'm, and, and now I'm free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Laura. So many people uh, are appear to be addicted to a toxic person or toxic relationships, and you work with a lot of these individuals. How do you guide them to try to break this pattern? Oh, gosh, it's so important to break free from toxic people. Well, I mean, the first thing is is, is there are certain situations that are just impossible. Like you cannot get inside of another human being because, it, you know, I, I know the, exp- the expression co- kind of codependent and it's really about shifting the focus to you. you. You're the only person that you can love, that you can value, that you can begin to make those choices to feel safe, to know what you care about, what your tastes and preferences are. And a lot of times people are so focused on the other person that they can't even see themselves. Like they look in the mirror and who's there? I don't know. 
And so the guidance is to really begin to um, celebrate and make a connection with you, your heart, your soul, your body your taste, your preferences, what you love, what you care about, what you're deeply passionate about, and and begin to detach from this other human being because a, a lot of the situations, they're not ever going to change. They're not ever going to love you in the way that your language of love, in your language of love, because they're, they're in their own tortured soul stuff. <laughs> and it's just none of your business. It's none of your business when another human being, I mean, it, I mean, I guess it is if they're, if they're hurting your body, but even then, even more reason to move away from that and no longer be a victim to another human being's words or behaviors and, tar- and to start taking ownership of your own life. Grab the steering wheel of your life that I think if, if there, if there's anything that, I mean, I don't, you know, I've had people ask, you know, like how, how did you, and it's like something deep inside, like a burning passion to live free. I just, that's been my greatest passion, Frank, is to live free in my soul. And if you can connect with that part of you that just wants to be free and at peace, like you don't have to die to rest in peace. You can actually access a certain degree of peace, especially if you remove yourself from the war and to break the trauma bond and walk away. And it's the bravest walk you will ever do and it makes me think of the Mary Oliver poem where she just says it's the journey and I won't I I can't recite the whole thing but it ends by saying save the only life you finally heard the only voice and save the only life that you could ever save which of course is your own and do it for all the people that love you because they want you to flourish. They want you to thrive. They want you to be happy and fulfilled from the inside out. And the more you're in that energy vibe, the more you'll attract people who celebrate you and see your goodness and see what you've come through. But to well, be aware so that, you're, that you're safe enough, you've got to be safe enough to do the healing. That's the thing well, that I got. Laura, we are just about out of time. This show has gone way too fast. Uh, what last word do you want to leave with the listeners? Love yourself. Just deeply, deeply love yourself. Look in your eyes. Look at your hands. Look at what you've been through. And you're here. If you're here, oh my gosh, there's so much more. Goodness. Goodness and grace that can come your way. Look for the tiny, beautiful things in a day. Well, that's really, Ladies really and gentlemen, hard. we are, as I said, we are just about out of time here. I want to thank Dr. Laura for being with us today and sharing this incredible story. Make sure you listen to it on demand later today. 
No matter what life throws at you, ladies and gentlemen, I say this every week, do three things. Look up, get up, never, ever give up. Better times and better people will come into your life. Let me leave you with this. None of us are in this alone. And the secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. And today, Laura showed you where many of those rocks are. Join us again next week for another life-altering event. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into Life-Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The Good Kind.